Aloha mai kako. Welcome to the Aloha Friday Conversation. I'm Noe Tanigawa, and I just can't wait to introduce you to musical artist Isaac, and we'll look into a couple of unique Hawaii journals, and we'll get updated on that amazing new art center coming to Lihue as well. Lots to look forward to. So let's jump in. We're jumping in with how idealism and grinding reality are playing out at the University of Hawaii. In June last year, 25 students of the UH Art Department wrote an open letter to the art faculty. They credited the Black Lives Matter movement with shining a spotlight on both personal and institutional racism. They called on the art department to diversify the faculty, root out colonialist attitudes, and actively pursue diversity. The first call to action at nearly the height of the pandemic received only preliminary response. So this year, on October 11th, Indigenous Peoples Day, a follow-up newspaper was released. In large letters, the broadsheet asks, why has the University of Hawaii Art Department ignored a conversation that is on the main stage of global art dialogue? I spoke with artist Thad Higa, who designed the publication, and with 2020 MFA graduate Rebecca Goldschmidt. They're two of the organizers behind the newspaper. It's not new stuff. I don't think anyone um, who's gone through the art department would say like, oh, well, this is like a brand new problem. Uh But I think that's what we were really trying to address is that these are like deep-seated issues that never really get addressed. And another class comes in and it just kind of, you know, rolls on top of each other. So some of those things that we were really noticing and experiencing were just the general upholding of Western Eurocentric modes of thinking in the art department. So really not allowing much space for other ways of thinking or other explorations of different worldviews. I think that was something that I was really coming up against a lot. Yeah, I'll just say that. I know what you're (laughs) describing. And, you know, it's so profound when you say the word sculpture and a picture goes into people's minds. It's hard to realize the power of the Western images that are conjured up by almost every word in the art canon. Yes, yes. And there's also just this consideration of place and the consideration of being in Hawaii. For me, as a person who came specifically to Hawaii to study Filipino culture and to learn from Hawaiian culture, I was just confused and shocked as to why no one was ever talking about Hawaii and, and being in Hawaii and what it meant to be artists in Hawaii, what was our responsibility as an artist here, Um, And, you know, it was just a kind of elephant in the room situation. I just kind of felt that there was this sort of questioning of the validity of certain cultural practices or ways of being or modes of art making or just kind of, yeah, conversations around indigeneity and conversations around Hawaiian culture, Maori culture, different peoples of the Pacific. Um, kind of felt that that was being not overtly stifled, but sometimes just ignored and or brushed over. Again, we didn't want this to be a personal attack on anybody. And I know a lot of people probably felt that it was with the language or with the presentation, like that and I were talking about people have been really scared of the big red scary letters on the on the page that say decolonize, decolonize. Like people are really reacting to that. But we're really trying to point out these inequities in the system, in the larger institution. It goes across all departments, all faculties 
all systems within the UH institution, but we really think that it is a responsibility of students to continue to speak up against those things and faculty as well. And those alliances from the ground up, from the people who are working and living in these institutions, those are the, those are the ways that we can make change in these kinds of spaces and you know, trying to figure out how to make it better for everybody. You know, in my mind, I'm still trying to sort out, like, who do we want to speak to the most? Like, obviously, we want to have positive dialogue with the department, a transparent conversation to, to try to build a better arts education in Hawaii. That's obviously one of the priorities. But then maybe the more pressing one was speaking to all of the students, all the students that are still within UH now and the students of the future. Have you heard from any students on this? Yeah, yeah, we've had a lot of really good response from students, alumni reaching out to us just to say, I'm sorry that this hasn't changed. We had someone from a class in the 80s reach out and say, this is the same stuff that we were working on then. You know, we've had current students say that in student housing that they're gathering and meeting and talking about the issues. I've had people say students who are in ROTC were using some of the language and referring to the newspaper. I mean, we're getting like every other day we get a message or two that's like, hey, I just saw this or I picked up the newspaper and wow, I had no idea and stuff like that. So I just didn't think it would have this like broad impact, especially across the student body, across disciplines. That it, that it has been having. And I think that is the most powerful thing that it has done is that it's tied together some of the issues that other people are thinking about in their departments and their disciplines. What is it that the university needs to, to make these kinds of changes? I think that's the most powerful part about it. 2020 UH MFA graduate Rebecca Goldschmidt and artist Thad Higa, two of the organizers behind the Decolonized newspaper, also available online. We've got a link at hawaiipublicradio.org. What's the response? Art historian Kate Lingley is currently chair of the UH Manawa Art Department. She says the first signs of this effort to decolonize the department appeared as students were leaving campus in June 2020. So far, only a preliminary response has been issued, though Lingley agrees the problems are not new. The letter makes some very strong points that are really broadly shared by faculty, and many of these are things that we have been kind of privately trying to work on. Um, they like need to diversify what you- our faculty. Uh, the need to diversify our faculty and our grad programs, the need to rethink our curriculum to see how better to facilitate education on issues of social justice and equity. Um, you know, we, we do want to find ways to do better. I could ask what roadblocks to progress in this might have been in the past, because, I mean, this is nothing new, of course. No, of course not. I think exhaustion, uh, <laughs> lack of resources, <laughs> One of the upsides of this conversation is that it has given us a starting point. Have you been able to meet on this? Yes. Have there been any changes made or anticipated? So, yes. I mean, the current conversation among faculty includes a resolution to pursue anti-bias trainings beyond the regular ones that we do as the university requires it, to articulate a statement of values and ideals. We've convened a study group on anti-bias pedagogy and This is something that we've been trying to do for a while, actually, to pursue a workshop on decolonizing practices of critique in art education, making a survey of campus resources for curricular design and to supplement our existing curriculum in the short term. The budget cuts to Manoa and the hiring freeze of the last few years have really been a 
bit of a roadblock to any kind of substantive change. We're very disappointed, for example, that our Pacific art history position remains unfilled since bringing in someone with that expertise would offer the opportunity to address some of the issues brought up in, in the letter with the help of some new expertise. Well, hey, Kate, um, I mean, as chair of the art department, you really do need to keep an eye out on all across the horizon because are, are people looking at the art department for budget cuts from, from a different direction? Well, one of the things that distracted us last year was the proposal on the part of the Manoa Budget Committee to stop out our uh, graduate program in art history. Stop out indicates to stop accepting new students for a time. Um, it was not a, a complete cancellation, but it seemed like it might be the first step to cancellation, you know, which was frustrating because it's one of the few, possibly the only art history graduate program to focus on Asian and Pacific art history. Although to be fair, at the moment, we can't admit Pacific students for lack of having an instructor to, to guide them. But that's another reason to pursue that Pacific hire. So is the MFA program under threat at the moment? I don't think so. It's constantly being questioned for being a small program. We would like it to be bigger. We admit more widely and, you know, we have a certain number of GA ships that we can give to students, but it's never enough. We don't have the kind of funding packages to offer to graduate students that a lot of other schools get. So typically our best admits go elsewhere. You know, there's nowhere that it would really make sense to go into debt for a graduate degree in the arts or humanities. So, right. um, you know, and we yet, can't... yeah, we've had such great graduates, though, lately, yeah, right? And it's been kind of crazy. So the threat to the MA program in art history was about there not being enough students. We were not at that point similarly confronted with a threat to the MFA program. But I will say that because it's also a small program, there could at any time be a similar kind of, of issue. Thanks for explaining that because I really see it, you know. Art is so often the canary in the coal mine when um, universities are cutting. People say, you know, what use is it? But I think since we're talking about social justice, let's talk about access to education as a social justice issue. Students in Hawaii, UH students, both at the undergraduate and graduate level, deserve to have access to art and to learning about art and to practicing art. Otherwise, then the only people who get to study art are the people who can afford to go off island. Kate Lingley is chair of the UH Manoa Art Department. We're discussing a challenge that's been issued by art students demanding changes in faculty, curriculum, and department culture. Broadly, a call to decolonize. The students are asking for the department to actively pursue equity, diversity, and relationship to cultures in Hawaii. Professor Lingley continues. I think there is a general sense that it's time and that we would like to, to make some changes. I think everyone is very cautious about how quickly we can and should make changes. So for example, when we think about curricular changes, given that we're hoping to hire some new people who will bring their own expertise, it doesn't seem to make sense to do an entire curricular overhaul prior to those people arriving. What's a process that could work to accomplish some of these objectives? Well, I think that's the process that we've begun. And we had a pretty serious discussion last week, Friday, in a faculty meeting about what are concrete steps that we can take to institute change now? So the concrete really steps, did you come you, up with anything? <laughs> concrete yes, steps, we, did you? Yeah, I, didn't I 
mention some of these. I think we, um, we have a, a study group on anti-bias pedagogy, a learning group, right? So one of the things that came up in the discussion on Friday was we can't change everything without first learning. So that is underway. And, you know, conceivably it would take time. I don't think there's any way to do this that is not time consuming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you meet with these students at all at any point? I think we would like to have some kind of a listening session, a conversation with the writers of the letter. We have a faculty volunteer who's looking into what our different options are. I have set aside some money to pay for that. We don't want to lose momentum, but I also don't want to derail the project on everybody's burnout. And everybody is pretty burned out already. How does how is the faculty looking at these demands? Wait, now right well, now. We're well, how many positions are open? Was, yeah. Here's a question. What what does it mean to have a position open? When I was hired, there were like 22, 23 faculty members, and I think we have 16 plus the gallery director now. Wait, oh, and when were you hired? 2004. Mm-hmm. Or the 22, 23 is sort of what I remember. I sure. look it up, but it's, it was something like that. Could you just um, name me a couple so of the positions that are open now? Well, when someone retires, the position goes away. The position will no longer exist when a person leaves it. And whether or not you can get it back really requires a pretty concerted effort of advocacy, which we continue to do. What's the reception like? Possibly, we just keep being told that there's no money. The thing that we are able to do is to continue to advocate for these positions. And to the extent that, you know, members of the community, it's possible that voices outside the university would speak louder. Do you expect to be, you know, putting out any statements or releases or anything? We've drafted both a letter of response Mm -hmm. to them and a statement that we want to put up on our website. I would hope that they would keep thinking and keep talking and keep the lines of communication open. How would they communicate with you, though, really? I think talking in person to a faculty member with whom they have a good relationship and you know students develop mentorship relationships with particular faculty members and that's often the best way to begin those kinds of conversations and I think I feel strongly that our faculty if such issues are brought to them individually will then help connect students with the appropriate resources. Professor Kate Lingley is chair of the UH Manoa Art Department. She's aptly described how fiscal pressure plays out in education, at least in that department. If you were a student, it would perhaps take unusual initiative to approach a faculty member with criticism about departmental, you know, culture. The effort underway now started as a letter sent to faculty, and a year later now, after only preliminary response, organizers published an eight-page newspaper detailing problems that they saw in the art department. the newspaper, the word decolonize in bold red contrasts with smaller print articulating the issues here. Inside pages of the newspaper contain inspiring quotes, positive actions that have been taken, and questions, of course, the big one being, why has the University of Hawaii Art Department ignored a conversation that's on the main stage of global art dialogue, the idea of decolonizing. Artist Thad Higa designed the publication in collaboration with 2020 MFA grad Rebecca Goldschmidt. They're two of the organizers behind the paper. 
we also did this as an internal letter. It wasn't publicly posted anywhere. It was a direct, you know, from students to faculty letter in good faith that people would respond and people would call us to come in for a meeting or something like that. But there was no response. <laughs> um, yeah, there was no response. I basically waited. Two months later, we got a preliminary response which basically was like, yeah, we got the letter. Things are really hard, but we just don't have time to deal with this. It's going to take a while. We never heard anything after that, pretty much. Yeah, we, we, we were really thinking about, like, in light of the faculty not really responding adequately at all uh, to the first letter, like, how do we, what do we do with this next addition, this next step, and how do we get them to respond? And you know what's exciting to me, too, is that in this digital age, a sheet of paper could have caused ripples like this. So we got to turn to sad for one thing, you know, the word decolonize. That's got a lot of baggage on it. You sure chose a font with some impact. It's funny because I've, I've been learning a, like about the history of different typography. Um, I'm not like traditionally a designer at all. I'm pretty rogue, like YouTube artist type of person, but the way the thing's laid out is really stimulating to the eye. First, the size, it's kind of exciting to have this piece of paper and it's not like newsprint. It's, it doesn't come off quite as easily in your hands, but also it's dealing with folding something and refolding it and coming on different layouts. It's yes, really fun. You. I'm really into hand puppetry and poly pockets. <laughs> I talk about poly pockets almost every day. <laughs> you know, yes. one thing though, the first response that you got the letter from uh, Chair Lingley, it's noticeably diminutive on the page. And one has to ask, what are you saying? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear what work have they done. Look at all of the work that all of these other people are doing, like in the middle spread, for instance. Look how hard these people are working in contrast to like, uh, what is it, like a half page email response. This matching of text to print what were you thinking about when you approached the layout i'd like to think about these texts words language as these living bodies and then you think about a whole spread as some kind of public space where all of these words and ideas come melting together what are the most important salient facts also thinking about what are people's attention spans You've got to think about the way it folds, how, how people will hold the object, what the object's life will be. Someone had mentioned to me, uh, what are people going to see looking at someone holding this newspaper from like 200 feet away? Because they're going to be holding it up. And, and so I made that huge question on the back of the newspaper. It's does a fabulous layout, art object. Yeah. Does the layout facilitate the ideas that we want to convey, you know? <laughs> Like, think about the second and third page. I'm constantly learning and unlearning my ideas of white supremacy and racism. Uh, I'm constantly learning and unlearning my ideas of white supremacy and racism. What does it do to you to, like, read that over and over again? What does it mean to put in the work to that? Like, the words for us, both of us, these aren't just these hashtag trendy things. These are things we really take to heart. In our choice of making this like a, an actual physical object, we're, we're saying that these ideas live in our bodies. They're not going to go away. We need to address them. And every time we read a line, it changes something within us. 
Yeah, you know, I also think about like people who they hear one quote of something and they're like, yeah, I agree with it. And then they go along living their lives in the oppositional manner to the essence of the quote. You see people retweeting things and you're like, you just did that thing that you're, you're tweeting about. You know, I want people to, to really take these words to heart rather than just repeat them and retweet them. We got to see the money. <laughs> I hate to say it like that it just comes down to that, but that really is what has the sort of stranglehold on the department. Okay, well, so who needs to give the money to us then? We did send this letter and the newspaper to legislators who we thought would be advocates for the arts. There's like the creative caucus that came up last year there. We know there are already people in the community who are advocating. And so we just wanted to align with that push for more emphasis on the arts. At the end of the day, this is about valuing the labor of artists and artists of color and Hawaiian artists and giving us more space within the community and the society to contribute and to make change in important ways. Rebecca Goldschmidt, Thad Higa, and initial CFT designed the decolonized newspaper, which was designed by Higa. It's been available in select cafes and bookshops, and we'll provide a link with this story there at hawaiipublicradio.org. Next, we head to Kauai. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Queens Island Urgent Care, treating non-life-threatening illnesses and injuries at six locations across Oahu. Walk-ins welcome. Learn more at queens.org. These days, the scene at home is busier. Hands full, meal in the oven, a dog begging for your attention. With so much going on inside, how can you stay connected to what is going on outside your home? Ask your smart speaker to play NPR. You'll get the latest news from your community and beyond. We'll keep you company while you keep things moving. Ask your smart speaker to play KHPR for HPR1 or play KIPO for HPR2. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Neighbor islands are big on Aloha Friday, and today we're heading to Kauai. Internationally recognized ceramic artist David Kuraoka works out of his studio in Haena these days. He says they're getting used to tourists again there on the Garden Island, and he is going right ahead, ordering equipment for an incredible project that's coming to Lihue. It's an art center in the former Crest Building on Rice Street. It's happening, actually. I very recently uh, put an order in to Laguna Clay Company for the equipment, which is going to be very well equipped with lots of electric kilns, gas kilns, beautiful wheels. The whole studio is set up beautifully. Like how many wheels? Eight wheels, 20 wheels? Uh, 12 wheels, four electric kilns, one large gas kiln. I even got a forklift because I know I'm not picking anything up. And so I have pug mills, I have uh, clay mixers. Just everything in ceramic. Okay, who's going to work in those studios? Um, the person who's putting it together, Marco Bay, he has ideas himself, so I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if we're going the route of uh, artists in residence. I'm not sure if 
you know, bring someone in and work for six weeks or, or, or from off island or um, have a series of workshops or or maybe a couple of days a week, um, the community works. I'm not really sure how he wants to handle it. Um, Rice Tree is happening though. The, the, you know, we did put money out already. Or the, the, so the when, when are you guys projecting opening? Uh, the summer, probably summer. We only put the money out about six weeks ago and they have oh, to yeah. now build some of those kilns. They have to now, uh, Shimpo wheels, the best wheels are, are mm -hmm. so back ordered that they told me it'll take eight oh, months. Boy. So all this, all this I will see. be gathered now, now that there's money put out. There'll be two studios. One will be printmaking and one will be ceramic. And I looked at the drawing, the printmaking is larger than the ceramic. State-of-the-art print equipment. I'm kind of excited for that also. The building's coming along very well, but they're waiting for permits. You know, if that, you know, permits are not a format permits, you know, so it's going to all be done right in, in the end. I, I think it's going to be a good good deal for Kauai. And then, then it'll be here for future generations. That's yeah. going to be such an incredible resource for your island. It is. It is and it the is. timing summertime is going yes. to be good. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of the goal so that in the future when when somebody's has talent in passing through at least there'll be a place for them to show their slides and, and lecture and a real place you know not not in somebody's garage or that kind of thing but there's a lot of artists come through here just no place for them to show their stuff or to you know to show slides or to lecture or demonstrate even and now we're going to have um, a lot of things will be on wheels so i can move things around and then and just leave wheels out for you know for a demonstrator or something and then, then the crowd can come in so it, it'll be a nice space and we'll like a classroom i hope a little bit you know so there can be ideas exchanged oh yeah ceramic artist david kuraoka on kawaii artist gallery owner bruna studa is organizing the print studio i've exchanged emails with developer mark cafe currently in california he says he'll be in the islands over the holidays and we will get a full update now, a look at some of Hawaii's fine literary journals. There are several published here in the islands. Have you seen Manoa Journal, a Pacific Journal of International Writing? Twice yearly, handsome books, many are translations of writings you will not find elsewhere. Poetry, scholarly articles, essays, memoir from Papua New Guinea, Cambodia. I remember a fine collection, Harutupu. New writing from French Polynesia. Check the book list online at UH Press. We'll provide a link. New out this month from Bamboo Ridge Press, a collection of writing by Hawaii authors titled Kipuka. I spoke with two Bamboo Ridge editors, Misty Saniko and Donald Carrera Ching, about this lively collection that somehow springs directly out of the pandemic. They said Kipuka grew out of a key Bamboo Ridge edition called Growing Up Local. But this time out, alert! We're decolonizing ourselves here. These editors want to get past limitations in the idea of local. We didn't even really want to go there. With We wanted to like get away from trying to group us all into one sort of category of people. I think local, right, it goes back to this melting pot myth idea that essentially erases other communities. 
that's why we wanted to move away from that and to rather than sort of go with local instead acknowledge the various communities and senses of identity that are here in Hawaii and allow for those voices to speak and allow a platform for those those voices to come out. We did have this notion of kipuka and you know where we find refuge and how people in Hawaii are resilient and deal with change constantly. Of course we were looking at the quality of the work you know the, the prose or the poetry um, how it fit the collection uh, but I think one thing that we are really careful to mention in our call for submission is something that we, we looked at with every piece was, was there a clear and conscious connection to Hawaii and its communities and cultures? We wanted to make sure that was there because we recognized that that was such an important factor when we were composing this collection. All I can say is I opened up and, you know, the first four things I just random landed on were really thrilling. I, I think the first one was... Um, Oh yeah, here it is. It's Kapena land grab here, right? Is, is that pronounced Moe? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you folks make of this? I, I think one thing that really comes through in that piece is this contemplation of the things that, you know, provide stability as, as the house is eaten by termites, right? There's all of these things that are changing and that are falling apart, right? But we, we, <laughs> we cling to those things that provide us with that sense of who we are, that sense of identity. Um, Starts off, my parents' house in Kaumana, slowly transforms into piles of termite droppings. So I carry with me its sounds. My mother's muffled snore from down the hall. Kapena Landgraf, do you know anything about this person? <laughs> he teaches uh, UH Hilo. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? I can go right through here and, and pick out people that I just want you to tell me about. Who else have you noted? There's a, there's a lot on, on here. Um, it's a good mix of established and new writers. We've got some some student writers on here who've done amazingly well. Christina Lee, Her Mind is the Shore. She's one of Gary Pack's students on page 78. That, that was a really, you know, a really like beautiful one that we liked. Wait, let's um, see here. You don't have to believe me when I say this, but I've tasted God in sour kimchi. Cold and moist. It's red soup over steamed rice and over easy eggs. Yellow yolk running into golden fried pollock. I mean, it, it starts with food, but she, she really moves into her family. And it's very physical and descriptive and lots of great imagery in here. There's a lot of landmarks, I think, that kind of stand out to me in terms of the work. I think one thing is the art. In this case, we organize it in the same way that the authors alphabetically. So it kind of creates interesting conversations that's juxtaposed against different things. Um, I think, you know, Nanea Lums, uh, Manoa is there between Daryl Lums, uh, conversation between boy and uncle and... Uh, it's uh, as well as um, Wing Tech Lum's poem on the, the burning of Chinatown during the 1900 bubonic plague. Before you head oh. off into that, I got to ask you how you selected the visual artists, because they are um, really exemplary contemporary uh, representatives of what they do. I mean, I think that was what we were looking for. And I think we were also blessed. We had uh, Meredith Enos involved in this, who was really well-versed in, in, in the art community. Uh, Brenda Kwan as well, too. I uh, was really familiar with a lot of these artists and oh. uh, really made it possible for us to reach out. Nice going on that. Who's Jonathan Medeiros? You know, these quarantine poems? I believe he's a fairly new writer. Was this his first published piece, Misty? Um, yes. Mm. He's also a teacher. He teaches English um, on Kauai, I believe. You've got material from all the islands here, or, or I mean, from across the state anyway. We wanted that. We wanted more voices from Kauai, Maui, the big island, so. I, I just feel like there are more people writing these days than ever. 
Absolutely. Uh, what's interesting is that Bamboo Ridge has been around for almost 50 years, but it's amazing how many folks are, are just discovering it and that when they do the reaction to it, that's so strong to see pigeon in print, when folks hear that or they see that, how they connect with it in a way, it really makes them feel like, hey, I can write, I can share my story. And then we get these wonderful stories that come in that really show us exactly what art should show us, uh, you know, life and experience and what it means to be human and how we all are, are, are sort of getting through. Writers Donald Carrera-Ching and Misty Sanico. With Meredith Enos and Brenda Kwan, they edited the new collection of Hawaii writing and art, Kipuka, on Bamboo Ridge Press. Readings and events continue. Lots of stories, video, and opportunities to submit at their website. We'll have a link with this story. Truly a labor of love, the Hawaii Review is an arts journal published by the Student Media Board at UH Manoa. It first came out in 1973 and is focused on work by Native Hawaiian and Indigenous Pacific Island writers, LGBTQ and Two-Spirit writers, and other writers with Pacific connections. One recent publication is Words Poured Across Oceans, Black Indigenous Connected Resistance, exploring those issues through writings in our region. A lot of this work is digitized, and we're going to post links for you to peruse, perhaps with a glass of wine later this weekend. Now, there's another tiny press here that's been making a name for itself out of Hawaii. Tinfish Press, Experimental Poetry of the Pacific, was founded in 1995 by writer and UH English professor Susan Schultz. Schultz has recently been transitioning out of Tinfish, and writer Longtime collaborator Jamie Gusman is stepping in. It's a critical time for the idiosyncratic little Honolulu Press. Yes, I love that word idiosyncratic. That's true. I think what initially pulled me into Tinfish as a, uh, actually as a graduate student at UW in uh, Seattle was perusing open books at poetry only bookstore and seeing these like wild magazines that I wasn't seeing elsewhere and Seattle at that time was definitely felt like the poetry mecca or exactly. something right uh -huh. but I was like okay I have to go see what's going on here that's the part about Tim Fish that I initially loved and would love to bring back is that handmade kind of craft relationship between the publication and the writer that experience can you describe of Susan's point of view or her perspective? She just has this knack for finding what is special in what is unseen. I, I feel like a lot of poets that have started with Tinfish have gone on to have really enormous careers. Like Don Choi, who did the Korean translations, she has two books with Tinfish and she just won a Genius Grant, which is wonderful. It's such a talent in itself to be able to find people and really fight for them. And that's what Susan was really good at, fighting to see them in print and just doing it, not even caring what anyone else was going to think or say. I love that about her. Are you taking over the nonprofit then or, or what's happening right. here? I've taken over the editorial direction. Actually, the new website is timfishpress.org. And within that website, we're having an online journal or what I'm calling the magazine. You're offering to authors, poets, publication in, a, in your online journal. 
right now? Yes, they won't be printed or we don't have plans to print the online version mm-hmm. at this present moment, but um, we have a wonderful intern now and I have uh, another partner who's working with me and helping me with all these things. Bringing that more active community oriented experience to poetry, I think is so important because it's it's a lonely it's a lonely place to be as a writer and also as someone who is interested in finding like-minded people and add experimental to the mix. And then you're like, what is that? Am I that? What does that even mean? Well, there might be poets who are really thinking, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, I'm too traditional for you. I mean, it's a really good question. I think as as an editor myself, as a reader, what I'm looking for is questions. I don't find comfort in in reading material that tries to answer questions for me. So try, try me. That's what I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie Gussman is editor of Tin Fish Press. Check their magazine at tinfishpress.org. And at the Hawaii Review of Books Online, editor Don Wallace has just released The Bluest Angel, a foray into Hawaii horror. Happy Halloween reading. At the beach, maybe, this weekend. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. They say that 15 minutes of classical music a day is all it takes for keiki to reap benefits from this rich art form. How do you do that? Simple. Tune to HPR2, your home for classical music, while they're doing homework, getting ready for bed, or in the car with you. It's easy, and it'll help lay the foundation for a lifetime of music appreciation. Listen to HPR2 wherever you are. Tune in on your radio, stream on our mobile app, or listen on your smart speaker. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to experience Artists of Hawaii Now, new work from local artists exploring issues of the here and now, on view now, honolulumuseum.org. freshen up in Honolulu, I say put on some Isaac, I-Z-I-K. Let's just give you a taste of what his music's like going in. Raised on Oahu, Isaac won his first Hoku Award in 2018 for songwriting. Turns out, songwriting's the foundation he's been building on ever since the beginning. The sun was shining so bright Had me blind, I didn't see it coming, oh no My songwriting was kind of an escape for me as a kid. Um, I just didn't really feel safe a lot of times expressing myself to people, even if it was my family or friends and people I love. I just didn't really feel like I could be completely honest. Songwriting for me really was a way to express myself and to 
use it as an outlet for me to kind of confess a lot of the things that I was feeling. Through songwriting, I was able to split myself in two and kind of be the person listening and the person speaking. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah right. Fire. Mm -hmm. Talk about this. It's off your first collection. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I think it's really um, kind of auspicious and interesting that you chose to start the show off with Fire because that was the first song that I recorded at, in the studio ever. So for that project, for the first project, we started with Fire. And it had a completely different sound when I first started. I wanted to kind of, I had the idea that I wanted to create like a newer sound to come out of Hawaii. Um, but when we first recorded it, me and Imua, uh, Imua Garza of Zeo Music, when we first recorded it, it had a lot of acoustic instruments in it. And it sounded great because Imua really can do no wrong. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> he's just a genius like that. But when I listened to it after the first night we recorded it, I came back in the studio and I was like, I don't know yeah. if that's the sound I want. And we went a completely different way. And I just wonder how you sort of lifted it. You got a groove in from what could be a strummy song to Imua, the soul thing. Yeah, Imua just, he does it. He just what did knows you say how to, to do it. I just told him it sounds a little bit too acoustic for me. You know, something that somebody might have already done from here in Hawaii, I wanted to shift it and take more risks. Say 11, 12 years old. I was so cool. I want to know, just describe exactly, like, what were some of your issues? Um, I struggled a lot with my identity um, because of my upbringing in, in a religion that I was that I was in, uh, my parents' religion, my grandma's religion. So I struggled a lot with my sexuality. At a very young age, I knew that I was gay. That's kind of where a lot of my songwriting started to help in a more therapeutic way and that's why when I say like I was able to split myself into two I was kind of able to be my own therapist as well because I could listen to all these songs and not feel like it was really me singing it mm. I'm able to kind of comfort myself in that way because it's kind of like somebody else has a shared experience with me when I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school I realized that this is what songwriting was doing for me it was helping me transcend a lot of the inner turmoil that I was facing. It's making me think of that song, um, SM. Oh, SMTTC. Yeah. You're spot on. That's exactly what that's about. Yeah. yeah. Would you talk us into that? I yeah. think we should hear it. Yeah. So SMTTC stands for Shook Me to the Core. When I was in high school as a kid, a lot of those feelings came from being in love with somebody that I don't think I was able to share that or to have that love reciprocated, it's kind of like an unrequited love. And that was a big thing for me growing up uh, in high school was dealing with those feelings. But I didn't realize that in my 20s, I had carried all those things with me. And so Shook Me to the Core is about realizing that a lot of these old feelings that you try to suppress and subdue, they don't really go away unless you really face them head on.
you know, your second album, what were you thinking you wanted to do with that one? Because it's... It's so different from the first one. Yeah. And Bougainvillea. For, for, let's start with the name. Okay. okay. <laughs> and, and then we can go to the fantastic cover, and then we go, yeah. So, uh-huh. So, Bougainvillea, I resonated with this flower because of how much color it has, and also how deceiving it can be because you think that the color is the flower, right? But the flower is that little white speck in the middle of all the uh, of all the color. And those are actually the leaves that are changing colors. And I also love that here in Hawaii, it's just everywhere, right? But it's not native to this place. Mm-hmm. And so I think in that way, I, I felt like it embodied my music because my music is from here. It's from my experiences growing up in Hawaii as a Hawaiian. But the sound is not necessarily what you would think of, you know? And I imported a lot of those sounds from all around the world. I was inspired by so many different artists. So I wanted to name it originally just Bougainvillea, but I did a gig somewhere and somebody came up to me and said, I love your music. I think you're such a great artist. I wish reggae and Hawaiian music wasn't on top. Like you're so much better than them and all this stuff. And I had to stop him and tell him, like, I appreciate the compliment. I was like, but I exist because of traditional Hawaiian music. I exist because of island reggae music. Where does this notion of competition come from in music? And so I put the ampersand in front of Ambuginvia because I wanted to communicate that there's space for all of us. The sonic world is infinite, you know? (laughs) Everyone can exist in music. Do you feel free now? Oh, yeah. You do. I think there's times where I do feel confined. There's some times where I do feel obligations, you know, Uh normal things like having to make money. And so there are times where I don't feel Uh necessarily completely free. But when it comes to who I am, Yeah, like how I feel in general. I feel free. Uh Um, And creating your persona now, mm. I mean, well, clearly your work at the gym is paying (laughs) off. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Nice going with that. Thank you so much. You know, but yeah, because of your style, it is really Honolulu now. So Mm. so talk about it. Okay. It took me a while to realize what I like and not what I think people would like for me. And now that I have a really, really clear understanding of it, what I just it? go with it. I just, what? I love nice fabrics. I love print. I love color. I think for a while, uh, I think it was like 2015 to like 2018. You were preppy. And that was kind of cool because that was soul-ish. Yeah. And I was wearing a lot of black. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like wear really mm-hmm. flowy things because I was really insecure about my body. But I also was going through a really heavy breakup separation with my ex and uh that was a really really big part of my life and also an important part of my life because he believed Mm -hmm. in me and he made a lot of sacrifices for me to be able to chase my dreams it was just time for us i was weird because it was also like the best time in my life because i was also coming up and like i performed with the hokus and i had a lot of things that just happened from there i was traveling the world doing music so it was like the best time in my life but also like the really heaviest time in my life as well and I, I was trying to <laughs> learn how to balance all of that. And then I realized that I just I lost all my color. With Bougainvillea, that album, the reason why it's so vibrant is because I felt like uh-huh, over the years exactly. I had found my color. Right. There we go. And nice so that's where my style starts to come from. That's where I kind of started to yeah. feel more comfortable with 
learning that like if you have a vision and you see yourself in this vision in a certain way, that's where you should go. And so I had always ignored that vision because I was so afraid mm-hmm. of what people might say about me. Mm-hmm. But once I started really paying attention to that vision of who I was seeing myself as and started going for it, it resonated with so many people and maybe not so many people, but the right people. A lot of people came to me saying, I love what you're doing. I love your style. I love that what you're doing because it's giving me permission to do what I want to do as an artist. There's something in your veins, something in my soul, something in your eyes of fire that ignites. I like where you've taken this with, with, with how the sounds are made and the lyrics mm. too. And what are you finding out these days? You know, what's what's worth writing about? What's worth singing about nowadays? I think the one place that I really would love to explore is my happiness and my joy, especially after last year, you know? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my joy, my happiness. I think um, after last year, I, I kind of was just so consumed with what was happening in the world. I really wanted to be super involved in everything, but I realized how much it was taking a toll on my mental health. I hadn't even thought about creating new music. So I think these days I'm kind of discovering my happiness. Okay, so uh, what do you have to do to get happy? Surf. Oh yeah? Yeah, I just, I started surfing last year because that was one of the only things that we could do during the lockdowns. Uh So that's the one thing that makes me happy and I'm also really excited to explore that happiness in my music. Isaac, he's on social media and certainly will be playing around town. All right, that's about it for Aloha Friday, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Visit the conversation page on the HPR website for more and to listen, you know, back to these shows. They're all up there. Share them. This program is lovingly produced by Savannah Harriman Pote, Russell Subiono, and Lillian Song. I'm Noe Tanigawa. Our theme music is courtesy of Gypsy 808. You know, we're still keeping the lid on this Halloween weekend, but looking forward to next week for sure here on Oahu. We'll see you Monday when Catherine Cruz will pick up the conversation. Till then, let's take care of each other and have a happy Aloha Friday.